Alright, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barak ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla wa anta tajul al-hazna idha shi'da sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatik. Ya Rabbil Kareem. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Right folks, I uh, hope you are well. Um, and we are sorry urgent delivery from across the pond um and you have to demonstrate it as well is the request to be honest as long as it's not sweets and chocolates yeah then i just seen uncle there come back from pakistan Asalaamu alaikum. Uh, are you okay uncle yeah i'd get up but honestly getting out of this chair is very difficult oh lama Yes, mashallah. May Allah subhanahu wa reward that man. Honestly, check this out. Guys, I'm getting old now, alright? So plants have to, I know exactly what this is. Is it edible? No, no, it's not. It's not, it's not edible. Don't be disappointed. It's not edible, but it's super useful. This, listen, guys, you know when you give gifts, yeah, mashallah, Allah mubarak. Give something which is useful. This, yeah, is a game changer. Yes, yeah, the exact one that she had. See that? All right. I can't give a proper, but you know what this is, isn't it? It goes like, uh, to be honest, she went like, <laughs> something like that, whatever. Yeah, obviously, I can't. Yeah, all right, there you go. Ish. Maybe. Not. Okay, that don't work. Anyway, my demonstration skills are not great, but. It goes something like. <laughs> not my natural skill, is it? All right, I'm not gonna try. I'm not gonna break it. But basically, you throw it out. Obviously, I'll practice it a few times, and then you can just sit there. And then, obviously, because I don't speak for long enough, now I can. Now I can give proper reminders. Now, yeah. So, you, so when you get tired, then we can then do a proper behavior. Because they said in the programs, I don't speak long enough. Uhud, they said it's too short. Uhud, one hour, ten minutes. Yeah, and I thought, you know, now I've got my thing of kursi, now we can talk about two hours now, isn't it? Well, you're not going to give it a, a sitting down ever. Ever. So what's the point? But don't worry, I'll find a point for it. I was so impressed with this behavior. Wait, Us wait. pregnant people know, you see? <laughs> <laughs> pregnant, you know, game recognizes game, pregnant recognizes pregnant, yada. She's like proper pregnant, but I'm not that far off, so, you know. Is it? Yeah. Oh, is that what has happened? Yeah. No wonder. Alright, I don't do my full best, but there we go. Jazakumullah khair. Shout out for Helenox, anyone wants this. It's really good, this is. Super light. Stick it in your bag. Or special for all the aunties and things. By the way, I want to tell you that those who are uh, Usman's here, isn't he? Um, uh, uh, last year, uh, our auntie Rabia joined us and we carried her uh, thingy everywhere in fact not as we i think actually to be honest uh <laughs> Masita, i think carried it probably for the whole of 20 days and i did whenever i nearly got arrested because hers was a proper stall you know the stall that you see in the haram but she her one had the union jack on it right check this this is a true story this is a true story look at the qadar of this we uh, uh, this is the three cities program. We've just finished Aqsa. We've finished Medina. We've been prepping for our Umrah. Massive, yani. We all enter 
large number of us, Fiza who's online now, she was with us as well. And we come into the uh, main gate of Malik Fahad, all right? And I, I'm, the, the normal default is I'm carrying the, the, the store, right? But it's bright and it's fantastic and it's busy and so I've done this with it. Yeah, that behavior. So now it's very high, it's very prominent, and everybody can see it. This is the exact day after. The day after the guy got arrested in the haram for wearing the Union Jack Queen Elizabeth thingamajig. Do you remember? There was a guy on social media, man. He was going around. Uh, was it was it ihram or what was it? Like he was wearing a some kind of tribute. Yeah, to Queen Elizabeth and uh, doing Umrah, doing Tawaf or something like that on social media. And, you know, whatever. And you got uh, like, you know, proper hooked up and beats and everything. Right. Now, obviously, our intention was something entirely different. We were just using it so that people could see. And a copper grabbed me. He goes, I'll give you one second to put that away. I go, it's for my group. As soon as they can see. He goes, why are you flying the Union Jack? I was like, what did he mean? Then I realized it and I looked at the thing and I see the Union Jack on it. I said, you know, brother, good point. Good point. I said to, I said to Auntie, Auntie, you know, you can hold your own stool now. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you. Anyway, um, so, uh, alhamdulillah, I actually have some really good news. Um, good news, I think, for some people, maybe not some good news for other people. But today I was, uh, uh, for the last week or so, I've been really kind of going back and forth on this idea. Um, uh, and it took a lot of convincing in my head and to be honest I think it was what uh, I think Gaza I think has tipped me kind of like uh, over um, and so inshallah on the weekend of the 8th 9th and 10th of December I'm going to be teaching art in Manchester uh, on site uh, live proper uh, weekend class and when I say to you that I am looking forward to Surah Al-Baqarah in a way that I've never looked forward to Surah Al-Waqarah ever, then that would be the case. And when I say that Bani Israel are being taken down in a way that their mom and dad have never taken them down, then Allah is my witness, that's going to be the greatest honor ever. So, that's uh, just an announcement. Um, it's not live yet. I only made the decision about an hour ago. The people who know how to twist my, my uh, emotions did it very well. And the local Kabila, I have to say, put a very good proposal forward in terms of uh, making it a class worthy of attending. So inshallah, 8th, 9th and 10th, tell the people that missed it. Obviously we did it online, but I do think that it is a unique experience with respect to the Quran and understanding it. All right, so that's inshallah, uh, Al-Maghrib single weekend class. Bismillah. We are starting with a new section. You know what happened last week, by the way? It ran on a little bit, right? An hour kind of 20-ish. Without any exaggeration, I think Mesa was complained for one hour. For one constant hour, just constant moaning, moaning, arguing, arguing. You, I can't believe you did that. This, I told you I'd get in trouble, didn't I? I didn't realize that much trouble. But what I also inadvertently did by making it an extended lesson is that uh, I, I did two lessons, actually. Two lessons worth, I covered in one. And so I realized that I didn't have any translated notes ready for today because last week's second part was meant to be this week's lesson. So I'm just being honest with you and squaring up. And that's the reason why we don't have any translations. And Shazad, he's left that whole kind of, you know, monitoring the whole situation game. He doesn't care about notes, this, that anymore. 
as you can see. I, in fact, I guarantee you guys, if you keep an eye on Shaz, that he walks out of the lesson today. <laughs> in fact, I guarantee that Shaz won't even study this week's lesson. How about that? Just keep an eye on him. I'm, I don't know. I don't know. He might prove me wrong. He, pr he, might, he, he might prove me wrong. I don't know. I don't know. You know what I mean? Uh, but I'm just saying. So um, we are in a new section. It is, so there's no notes in the thingamajig section on the, on the website. But we do have it here in the uh, commentary. So I'll just uh, cover it. Uh, in the commentary, it's uh, 347 fossil chapter subsection, I would say. Uh, the author says, alayhi rahmatullah, Imam al-Hajjawi, he says, Man safara safaran mubahan arba'at burud sunna lahu qasru ruba'iyyah. That's uh, enough. Raka'atin. Uh, oh, oh, okay. That's, as, that's more than what we're going to cover today. So nice and simple. The translation being, therefore, Chapter, whoever travels a permissible journey, or whoever undertakes, or whoever sets off, I don't know, I need to think about it, but man safara, whoever travels, safaran, a journey, mubahan, which is permissible, intrinsically permissible, um, and travels that distance of arba'ata burud, for burud, it is a sunnah for them to... Um, uh, what's um, shorten. shorten shorten their four unit prayer to two units it is a sunnah for that person to shorten their four unit prayer to two units that will probably be enough for one and a half lessons okay because we've got lots to talk about just in this introduction all right so let's kick it off Man safara, safaran mubaha. Um, the first word is man, whoever. So therefore, it's not specified to sp a certain people, which is important. You might think, why would you even mention that? Who is who? But this includes man, woman, young, old, meaning that the concession, quote-unquote, is available for everybody, right? And it's not restricted. Why would that be uh, significant? Because there is, of course, an opinion that women should not be leaving the home, Right? And that's absolutely necessary. And of course, that's not something which is incorrect. However, um, when you find a generic phrase referring to a concept in this conceptual way, it's of benefit that everyone starts on an equal kind of playing field before you start to then applying restrictions. And every time that you want to restrict something, for example, restricting a woman from traveling, we need to now bring in evidence. So it's good that we always start on, a, as I said, a neutral footing. Man safara safaran mubaha. That's the first thing. The second thing is the word safar. What does safar mean? I think in Urdu we call it safar, yeah? Right? Bukhto we call it safar. Punjabi it's safar. What about some of the more other non things? What are they? In Singapore, Malaysia? What do they call travel? Safar? At all? Any other countries? Do we have any experiences? It is a universal word. Anyone know why? A safar is called, well, uh, I mean, what does safar mean? It means traveling, it means a journey. In fact, we'll get a bit more accurate in the first place. Remember when it comes to fiqh, um, uh, what do we normally do? We translate a word linguistically first, so we look at it from a lexical point of view. 
then we look at it from a, a technical point of view and then we give it its actual meaning right sometimes the literal and the technical are the same and sometimes the word technical means the actual meaning but the point is is that a word can be translated in a number of different ways right it can be understood in different ways so before we give the actual definition of what a journey is i.e x miles from x location to x location that's what we need to hear when you want to define proper what does travel mean what does suffer mean so if i say to you guys what suffer means right let's let's do that let's work backwards if i said to you put your hands up what do i what do you think the how would you translate the word journey or suffer in fact don't use the word journey use it in your own language when you hear the word suffer what do you think it means what do you understand yeah a distance who's going to define it when and how and who defines the distance because that's not a correct uh, you see when uh, scholars sit there to try to get a legal definition they start with something like that then they scratch it out they realize that's not fit for purpose because i can travel from here to there that's a distance that's not a journey right so we need a proper legal definition yeah So we need more than that because obviously travel is not a hardship. Travel has got to be something with hardship, right? So what would the definition be? Yeah? Traveling something more than the norm that puts you outside of your daily thing. So your normal commute might be an hour, but traveling an hour somewhere else that takes you out of your comfort zone. Traveling a distance more than your comfort zone. Honestly, I'm not going to lie. If I go around the corner from my house, I'm out of my comfort zone. Bro. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so you made journeying really easy for me, bro. I think this is good exercise, right? It, I think it, travel, uh, Aminur says, traveling a distance outside the norm of day-to-day -day habitual travel, which is pretty much what you were trying to say. Yeah. Day-to-day yeah. -day habitual travel. Obviously, again, not fit for purpose because is that work or what does habitual travel actually mean? I found interesting, uh, in Swahili is safari, interesting. Um, the, uh, what's it called, um, uh, Lama uh, has said trip, which I also like, if you're going to be really using minimal words. But yeah, go on, Shazad, you had one? No? Anybody else got an idea of safar? If I said to your uncle, what safar, what would you say, what's safar? Traveling. What does that mean, traveling what? I can travel from here to my car. That's not safar, right? No. So what if I said to you, define to me travel? Explain to somebody what travel means. I think it's 60 miles, something like that. So you definitely want to bring distance into it. Yeah. And you'd want to be putting about 60 on the clock, yeah? All right, fair enough. Yeah? Maybe uh, if it expands the time of travel, so it takes you from the travel. So using certain kind of, uh, using, yeah, uh, 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 not, uh, um, uh, using, things items moments uh, and in this moment in this example you're giving the prayer times okay yeah with that goes what was Sheikh uh opinion being far from home and not having access to a fridge <laughs> right which is a different town a different area what's really interesting is that none of you have mentioned the start point which is very interesting because if for example we were amidst a proper journey yeah which is kind of cheating but let's say you were and you travel from the petrol station to a petrol station 50 miles down the road 
would that be a journey from petrol station to petrol station especially if you were not intending to stop at the second petrol station right that's also something to is that part of the bigger journey is that and so we'll, we'll talk about that so this is why the uh, uh, when it comes to def definitions first we have to understand it conceptually which helps which is why the Arabic language is so special because it gives you that uh, 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 um, holistic look then you go through different people's interpretations of the legal to finally come up with the perfect technical so who can tell me what linguistically suffer means who can tell me what thingy uh, linguistically means while you're thinking about that Arij says leaving the city boundary Simon says that going from one place Simon was here last week is she cheating don't lag no she's online okay go from one place to another typically over a distance of some length that's from the dictionary go from one place to another right typically over a distance of some length interesting Labib said whatever is regarded as traveling is traveling so what the general community would consider to be a journey that's good travel is Warda says this is in, is this is nice travel is if asked about the answer is that they traveled which is good which is good anyway yeah linguistically yeah nope linguistically nope no no this is Arabic linguistically yeah it does where are you getting that from does it yeah Sephora is that taken from an Arabic word yeah I mean is it taken from I mean obviously you hear the word Sephora but Safur, did you say? Correct. That's correct. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالصُبْحِ إِذَا أَسْفَر Right? وَالصُبْحِ إِذَا أَسْفَر Surah Al-Mudathir, yeah? What does that mean? Anyone remember, anyone remember that, what that ayah means? وَالصُبْحِ The morning إِذَا أَسْفَر What does it mean? When by, Allah swears by the morning by the morning when it becomes apparent and you can see when it brightens when it becomes exposed when it becomes clear when it becomes obvious right that's what isfar means we have many hadith about the Prophet um, being told that the Fajr prayer is from when it's utter darkness with just the crack of dawn until the isfar until the morning is so bright that it's almost like as if the sun has come up but it hasn't you know that just before sunrise moment and it's it looks it's like it's very surprising because an hour ago or an hour 20 minutes ago it was completely dark right and so suddenly so this is isfar from asfar yusfiru isfara right so suffer means to become clear to become bright to become obvious to become known to become exposed after being hidden that is the linguistic meaning now now that you know the linguistic meaning yep Maryam said uncovering well done Bilal said brightens very good and in Urdu we do use suffer that way if we had to travel extra to get fuel we'd say I found fuel 
after so much trouble yeah so now tell me if anybody can make a link between the technical definition of uh, travel and the ling and the linguistic ling the linguistic one can anyone see a link remember that's obviously where the beauty of the Arabic language comes through right being able to explain the etymology of words by understanding the linguistic and now why people use it for that purpose so the word itself means to brighten or to become clear to become obvious to become known to expose expose actually is a really good one right so what is the link to the actual meaning of the word journey or travel suffer traveling takes you out of your comfort zone it exposes you carry on I need a fridge <laughs> <laughs> if I'm traveling, so it exposes you. So anything that takes you out of your comfort zone, essentially. You're kind of there, but you're not saying enough, in my opinion. Does it have to link with the hardship? Which, therefore, what's that got linked to the suffer, the word suffer? The risk. linguistic, huh? You are at risk. No, not at risk. What's that? <laughs> No, I don't think so, no. Sheikh says, Sheikh Uthameen says on the top of uh, 400 and, uh, 348, he said that it has some of the scholars, It exposes the true character of a person. And person, people are really di uh, discovered who they are when they travel. Which when we now hear it, we're all like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly true. And that's what the scholars used to say. You don't know someone unless you've traveled with them, right? And they said, have you uh, traveled with a person? Have you, yeah, wait, wait. so uh, the, 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 the judges, when they used to like ask for a character witness, and he'd say, yeah, I know him to be a good person. They'd ask, have you traveled with this person? If he said, no, he goes, you don't know him. Have you, have you, transacted with him like done a business deal yeah and has money got involved in between you guys if the answer is no you don't know him you only know a person when money gets involved between people and you only know a person when you've done suffer with them and the concept of suffer here means prolonged time outside of a comfort zone that's why zafar was there but not there there right so we need a person to be coming out in fact he said something very nice here he says that, uh, I saw it, يعني, what did he say? Um, Alright? He goes, الإنسان, when he goes on a journey, he exposes himself. Because when he's at home, he's protected, he's covered, he's hidden, he's unknown. Nobody knows yani, what's happening. I, subhanAllah, I, 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 literally I said this to someone yesterday. I went to visit someone who was not well yesterday. I hadn't seen for a good couple of months. I'm telling you now, the guy's lost so much weight that I thought that he lost half his body weight. Meaning that if he comes out now and exposes his situation, people will be shocked. But people are com communicating with him, conversing with him all the time, you know, whatever, whatnot. And nobody actually knows because nobody sees him but when you see him outside you'll be like wow the reality becomes clear because home is protective so sheikh says 
that when he comes out min baytihi asbaha zahiran bayyinan bariza he becomes clear obvious well yani uh, recognized and understood no hiding place at all so sheikh then says uh, you only really understand who people are when you travel with them and the judges would always make sure that you really have done something to see this person not just over outside of the comfort zone but a long period of time he goes back in the day it wouldn't be that we would not call a person that travels from uh, Riyadh to Jeddah which is absolute miles away and say that that person has gone on a safar in the old days kind of lingo because in the old days the whole point of that would be the 10 days that it would take and then you'd get to know them see them in various situations tested and trialed and all the rest of it if you jump on a plane and it's done in an hour an hour and a half you haven't learned anything you've learned nothing whatsoever so the whole point is about getting to see people outside of their comfort zone trying to uh, uh, deal with that um, anyway the second thing he says is that it's got to be that he said that our author has said that it's got to be a safar mubahan it's got to be a permissible journey he goes this is interesting because obviously there are five possibilities for a journey to take it can either be haram it can either be makroo it can either be mubah it can either be mustahab or it can either be wajib fard right so that's haram disliked permissible disliked or obligatory that's what everything can be and therefore a journey can be the same the sheikh then goes so for example a safar to do something haram is itself haram that's the way to understand what a haram journey is and he goes and uh, one example of a safar which is haram what's he gonna say classic yani, uh, classic Saudi opinion straight off the bat what do you think his first example would be yeah that the woman traveling without a mahram which of course is a a very um it is a serious matter it's not an easy matter to to to, to resolve obviously because the hadith on the matter are clear that a lady is not allowed to travel the distance of a day and night without a mahram right and uh this is the position of the vast majority of scholars as well um a minority consider this, and Sheikh Uthameen, of course, amongst them. A minority consider that the distance is not what was important. I have a video on this, so I'm not going to uh, repeat that whole thingy. Uh, you can probably you can find it on Faith IQ, and it's something to do with I think can a woman go for Hajj? I think, I think something like that. Does she need a mahram for Hajj or something like that? I can't remember. But I went into a lot of detail and we covered a number of the Athar and Ahadith which in my mind make it very clear that it's not about the distance and about the time but about guaranteeing her safety this is when it comes to obligations meaning meaning conditions absolutely not a shadow of a doubt that it is highly recommended and the sunnah and one should not actually travel without a mahram however is it something which is an absolute obligation that a woman cannot leave without even when she's safe i don't believe so that's my personal opinion but should a woman always have a mahram yes i believe so 100 percent um so that's an example of a haram journey example of haram journey is going to las vegas to go to you know gamble is to go to 
you know, Manchester City Centre to go to the pub, you to go whatever it is. But when it has a impermissible aspect, then the journey becomes impermissible itself. The point being made here is that a qasar or safar will not count this as safar. That's the whole point. Could be a million miles that you're traveling, but you're not traveling. That's the whole point here, right? And then makru, for example, Sheikh Uthameen says that a person traveling by himself, that is makru. And that's a very popular opinion amongst the scholars. Because, um, again, it's linked to the previous point, uh, the, 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 the beginning that we said that when a person's traveling, they're exposed, they're at their weak point, they, um, they're by themselves often, the people who know them best aren't around, people can fall into haram a lot easier. And therefore having company is something which is blessed, a protective kind of state. Um, have I, is it just in the Tarbiya programs that we speak about bathrooms and being alone, or did we speak about an LP? About what a big problem it is that people, you know, isolate themselves a lot. And that why it is in the bathrooms we seek refu uh, refuge from shaitan, al-khubat wal-khaba'if. You know, this kind of scenario. And the fact that we've made the bathrooms very, very comfortable, carpets and pot puree and puri or whatever it's called. Is it pot puree or puri? Pot puri. Pot puri. We're simple people, Yara. We just got one of those. Yeah. And uh, lights and all the rest of it, marble, blah de blah. People are chilling in there, bro. You know? And um, people don't realize that isolation and, and thingy is only for the very, very disciplined folks very very disciplined uh, people that's why as an act of worship those who are able to practice al-i'tizal and technically al-i'tikaf okay are the higher echelons of the of the human beings those that it's, it's no surprise that monasticism and that whole kind of concept is not a very much an islamically praised one because it's very very difficult very unnatural that's the key it's an unnatural position right and that's why the prophet ﷺ said that the Lone sheep is always the one that's preyed on upon by the wolf, right? That's why the Prophet ﷺ said that the hand of Allah is with the jama'ah, right? That's why we are Ahl Sunnati wal Jama'ah. We don't practice this deen in isolation. So being isolated is not good. It's not good, ever. So this is a nice point that he makes there as a good reminder. The uh, permissible journey would be tourism or to go and take a vacation or a break. That's something which is permissible. And if there are certain aspects in it, like family and, and the like, then it becomes recommended and obligation. It gets upgraded as appropriate. And then he goes that um, to go on the journey for your first Hajj, that's ob obligatory. To go on your second one, that would be an example of something which is recommended, Mustahab. So these are different kind of examples that um, uh, describe the kind of categories. Now, Here's an interesting thing. Sheikh says, if we go with the author's statement here that the only time that you can pray two rak'ah in your journey instead of praying four, do qasr, is if you are on a permissible journey, that means that if you are on a haram one or a makru one, think about it now, traveling by yourself, you are not allowed to do qasr. Okay? If you are on a haram journey or you are on a مكرو جاني وعلى هذا فلو سافر الإنسان سفرا محرما لم يبح له القصر especially if he does a haram journey it is not allowed for him to pray قصر because and, and here's the thinking behind it look what he says لأن المسافر سفر 
the person who travels out of disobedience and does the yani haram by that, how is it right that we give him a concession in the religion when he's doing something haram? You get a point? Yani you don't give concessions to people who are doing things haram. Concessions are a bonus. And in the تَسْهِيلٌ وَتَيْسِيرٌ عَلَى الْمُكَلَّفِ The whole point of a concession is that it makes things easy and blessed for the one who is legally held accountable. And he doesn't deserve it, Sheikh says. He doesn't deserve a, con- a, 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 confession, a, a concession. And for, that, and for this reason, he is prohibited from taking this concession and he is, con- he is prohibited from the concessions of journeys so therefore he's not allowed to do qasr, he's not allowed to wipe on his uh, hoof for three days, his socks for three days basically, he's not allowed to break his fast, so he has to fast. What is Shazad going when we need him? Has Shazad gone? What did I tell you? What did I tell you? I'm telling you bro, but I, he better be listening on, in the car because I'm telling you now, yeah, if there's one guy, astaghfirullah, I don't know to say Right, he's not in the car, Huh? So Sheikh says that all of these, and he's thrown. And what's crazy is that, is that he's included the the, the makru in there as well. So not just uh, because obviously why? Because the author has said mubah permissible. So therefore it has to like you know you can't have these two. Sheikh then goes. Sheikh then goes. But the solution to this is easy. He goes when you're in that haram journey, make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa taala. He goes, so you might not have been able to do qasr on the way there, but at least you can do a qasr on the way back. <laughs> he goes, you can do, say astaghfirullah wa atubu ilayh, and now I'm going to go back and I'm going to do qasr on the way back. So because now, he goes, your haram journey turned back into a permissible journey on your way back home, which is an interesting point. Here's the fiqh now. Sheikh Uthameen says, however, Abu Hanifa and Ibn Taymiyyah they went a different direction. And I love this. They said, and he goes, actually a number of the scholars, he said, quite a few of the scholars, he said, Sheikh Uthameen says, he goes, who put this as a condition for traveling? Uh, sorry, who put this as a, con- a condition for shortening the prayer? Where did it come from? It's not a condition. Permissibility of the journey of it, in of itself, intrinsically, is not a condition of shortening the prayer. And therefore, it is permissible for any person to shorten the prayer even if he is in a haram journey or journeying only for haram reasons or whatever he's up to, whatever his plan is. And the reason, what do you think? What do you think the reason is? Come and think outside the box. Either think outside the box or think in the realm of hadith. We have a very clear hadith on this matter. Yeah. Who might he might change his mind? Okay. All right. Fiqh the salah folks, yeah, and not answering deserve beats, like proper beats. If anyone wants to know why we keep teaching the same class every couple of years. This is your answer. If anyone says, oh, Quranic art, we've said that in 2021. Don't let me challenge you until you give me two examples from the class out of 35. Yes. Just because you do one thing wrong doesn't mean that everything else is wrong. <laughs>
that's not bad. Just because you've done one thing wrong, it doesn't mean. Hold on, wait. What? If it, just because you've done one thing wrong. So if, it, if your journey is haram. Yeah. It's sunnah to, in itself, to shorten the prayer in the journey. Right. So you should get the reward of doing the sunnah, even though you're not doing the haram thing separately. You get the, you get the punishment for that. Uh, that, 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 that's fine. That's that, that, that's fine. But but that's not. I don't think that's the question I'm asking. Although I have actually now forgotten the question I asked. <laughs> no, no. Uh, what's the question I asked? Why is what is the uh, what is the evidence for it not being a concession? Is that what I asked? Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> what was the question? Yeah, go on. Okay. Make it easy for that person anyway. You're a harami kind of guy, you know, so let me just make things easy for you. Just pray too. <laughs> I love that. What a sick line. Yes. No. No. No, no. It is, but uh, no. And it's not like by nope. letting them short and you're punishing the person by reading a full prayer. That's <laughs> <laughs> a lot. No. I can't believe it. I honestly can't believe this. Ismail says, just because it's haram, it does not mean you are not in suffer. Fair enough. Regardless of the reasoning, you still have to fulfill the part of the prayer, hence the concession still being allowed. You're fulfilling an obligation in Salah, so the concession still applies. Concession, some scholars necessitate shortening. They don't allow it. They don't allow taking it as an optional concession. It's more of the way to do it. I'm really surprised because I've mentioned this clearly in the Fiqh Salah. Yeah. The birth of Qasr, couldn't it stipulate they have to be fear and Omar has to concession? If fear is not present, or so short of the Prophet, one replies that Allah loves it when he gives the concession music, so he stipulated that. Which, which is very good, what you just said, that uh, the verse of shortening in Surah An-Nisa, when Allah subhanahu wa Umar asked the Prophet that this is of course about fear, but we're not in fear anymore, Ya Rasulullah, and Allah gave that concession as the Prophet said. But that was a concession, and a clear concession, for what? For fear. For war. Right? Now, the question I'm asking is why does Ibn Taymiyyah and Abu Hanifa and these group of scholars not consider the actual shortening of the prayer to be a concession? Even in the first place. Correct. Bilal has answered the question. There we go. This is the hadith in Bukhari narrated by Aisha radiallahu anha where Aisha said that when the prayer was originally obligated it was obligated as two units. And then it was finish the hadith you can remember the hadith and then it was increased to four for those who were resident. 
and for those who were traveling they prayed the prayer in its original form i.e we're not giving a traveler a concession actually the people who are traveling are praying the actual prayer properly as it originally used to be you get the point if that's the case then ibn Taymiyyah and all those guys they argue that we're not giving a concession so you don't need to get all moral and ethical about this guy's doing haram or not whatever the simple fact that he's traveling means that he prays less we're not doing him a favor that's the actual nature of the prayer in, in, in travel. Does that make sense? It's a very interesting and accurate argument. I have to say that it's a, a fascinating uh, a point. All right? Um, anyway, so according to this position then, it is allowed then for the person that is on a haram journey to pray to uh, 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 units, and he doesn't need to worry about whether it's uh, permissible or not permissible. And Sheikh Uthameen himself, he goes, I consider this to be a very strong statement. I think this is really good. And the evidence behind it, the logic behind it is great. And uh, really, the Safar only has two raka'ah obligated, other than, of course, Maghrib. And Maghrib, uh, there are differences of opinion, whether Maghrib was two and increased to three, or whether it was always three, which is a stronger opinion. It was always three, and it remained as three. So that's yani, a position which is good. Um, and the hadith of uh, uh, Aisha is there on the next page, 350. Hadith number, also hadith number 350. So that's, uh, that's, that's very good. Anyway, and then Sheikh Uthameen ends with, and you can see that he likes his position. Then he, for completion, he mentions a third opinion on the matter, where he says that actually Qasr is not allowed except in a religious journey, meaning that which is about obedience and worship so hajj and umrah and jihad and these kind of uh, and to visit parents these kind of things right and actually their position is that in a permissible journey there is no qasr and there is no uh, obviously not in haram and makru as well basically the exact opposite of the previous opinion the exact opposite it goes just to be complete but anyway, I do like this uh, position. The class position is indeed that it is not a condition that you are on a uh, mubah journey. Yes, it's the humbly position, but our class position and Sheikh Uthameen's position is that one doesn't need to because actually qasr is not a concession in traveling. It's a concession, as our brother said, in other realities, in other situations, difficulty, hardship, uh, when you're going through some problems, uh, uh, meaning difficult hardship to war level, I mean, yep, then it's a, a concession, but not in travel. Now, the author says that you, man safara safaran mubahan, whoever travels a permissible journey, it is sunnah for them to shorten their prayer from four to two. If they travel a permissible journey of four burud, Burud is a plural of the word Barid. Barid, what do we mean by Barid? Who knows what Barid is? Code. Huh? Code. Code. Oh, uh, uh, cold as in uh, Barud. You're right. That, I mean, uh, linguistically, Barud means cold. Barid is the postal service, right? Postal service. Now, who knows how the postal service used to work? I'm sure that I've seen an American film somewhere, Cowboys and Indians job, you know? I think that's the only one that I've seen where, where they do it. No? 
they have stations, right? So if you want to get a message to, you know, people a hundred miles away, your horse and your guide takes the inner sack, your message, that's the whole concept of the post, legs it all the way down, and they meet this like halfway, you know, through the day, come to the station, and they give, give over the sack, these guys chill now, fresh guy, fresh horse, then he legs it to the next one, and you just have these stopping kind of points. And that, I think that's how, that's how post offices started, I think. And maybe even telegram, telegram systems or whatever. But that's how it was always done. And so that's how me- important and urgent messages were sent to people. Not one person, but these st- uh, stages. And that's why some people translate the word barid as stages, right? Um, but I want you to understand that kind of concept of old school postal I just keep passing it on, passing it on until it eventually gets to the last person. But it's got there very, very quickly. Right, that's where it, that, that's where it comes from. All right? And the Sheikh explains that. And then he goes, the way that they would measure it is by half a day. So each barid is a half a day's travel on a horse, you know, legging it all the way basically until it gets to half the day, somewhere around about kind of midday-ish. Right, but before then, frankly, because he's got more hours in the morning, and you would then hand over. Then the second part of the day to the next stop is another barid. So we have the barid and a barid and a barid and a barid. Four burud, okay, four of them would four burud, sorry, would make then two days of travel. So if you're looking at it from a distance or a time point of view, here we're talking about time then it's two days of travel on a horse. That is what the author, the Hanbali position is starting uh, here. Now watch this develop, okay? If a barid is the distance of half a day, then four buruds will become two days. And when وَقَدَّرُوهُ بِالْمِصَاحَةِ الْأَرْضِيَّةِ بِأَرْبَعَةِ فَرَاسِخِ Then they decided that time is not going to, time basically needs distance now, actual ground distance, land distance. And so one distance, one barid, sorry, is for farasikh, which is the plural of the word farsakh. And one farsakh is three miles. So, how many farsakh do we have in four burud four burud no 16 right four eight twelve sixteen right so sixteen farasikh and each farsakh is three miles so sixteen times three and that's where you get the whole fifty miles forty eight miles forty nine miles this is where it comes from. So if you've ever wondered. Now this isn't just a humbly position. This is the position of nearly all of the fuqaha. Which is very interesting, yeah. Um, I don't know the answer to that. I think it was based, because it was not based upon leisurely travel, but more on the, ca- the, the basis of postage. I don't know the basis for that. But let's just go, go with this for a second. And Sheikh says that and a mile or a meal in Arabic is a thousand 
and 600 meters, okay, i.e. 1.6 kilometers, okay? That's yani, now giving us a clear idea. Now, obviously, these uh, there are differences, just like those that have studied Pio Pesa, uh, uh, you know, we spoke about the dinar and the dirham and the variances because it goes by weight and it's not a very exact science, yeah? So today, if you look at when you, I, I, do you remember when you do, I know some of you have taken a class, but remember when we work out zakat each year and we give two nisabs, we say the Hanafi nisab and then the other three imams. And the Hanafi nisab is just a nisab, just a little bit yani, uh, more, right? And that nisab, when people are trying to work out why would it be more, it goes all the way back down to what they originally considered to be the weight of the coin in the first place. And now the weight of a coin, we don't uh, have the ability to be able to go back to the time of the Prophet ﷺ to find those coins. So how are they doing that? They were looking at the time of the Sahaba and Tabi'een when coins started to get minted, collect a few and try to see if they could be standardized at all and whether we can agree on upon an actual weight so that we can say that now we can regulate an actual, you know, uh, a weight conversion and the like. Likewise with distance. That's why you will see 49 miles. Well, how does 49 come out of something which is three times 16 well if you want to say that a mile is 1.6 kilometers you've heard of a roman mile right there's these different kind of regional variations and these little variations that's why when someone asks me i always kind of just check out 50 miles you know what i'm saying just straightforward 48 49 50 miles it's a rough figure this is as i said according to the majority of scholars let's just finish this point he says that in terms of uh, the time, and it's actually interesting, because even though the Barid, Sheikh Uthameen says that the Barid concept is, is based upon a horse rider, because no one's going to go on a camel to get a message, right? It's going to be quick. He goes, but from a distance point of view, the scholars consider it the distance covered by a camel in two days. A camel. All right? So that's what a zaman is. If you're looking at it from a time point of view, what a safar equals, two days on a camel. That's a lot less than what a horse will do. And it fits more to the 48-mile kind of paradigm. Because a horse, knocking you know, straight out, will probably do 100x miles, it would, easily. Right? But a camel won't. Um, and also qasidan, Sheikh says. Meaning that it's a normative one. So not traveling all night and all day kind of behavior. And not stopping every five minutes, you know, break, break, break. No, normal, most of the day, sleeping at night, not stopping every more than once or twice. So normal, average journey. So basically, a journey is what? According to the classical scholars, according to all four schools of fiqh, according to the majority of scholars, is 48 miles or it's two days of, of normative travel on a camel. All right? On a camel. Sheikh then says, The way that our author, Imam al-Hajjawi, Sheikh says, has said arba'at burud, four burud. He's basically saying that if you do less than, if you do one hand span less than four burud, you can't do qasr. Because he's made it very, he didn't say nearly four, roughly four. He said four burud, 48 miles. So if you do 47.6 miles, you can't do qasr. That's it. And that's what we got to say. And that's what Sheikh wants to say to these folks. He goes that you're not whatever. And 
فهو سفر سفر قصر يترخص فيه ولو قطعه بنصف ساعة وقال ولو رجع في ساعته. He goes that and also we want to say that a suffer for them it doesn't matter whether it's done in one second or not. So meaning that the 48 miles, if a person is able to get there and back in, in half an hour or get there in half an hour, he still then prays and enjoys all of the, the Qasr privileges. He goes, the correct position, Sheikh Uthameen says, was sahih, is that there is no limit or defining restriction to the concept of safar, distance-wise. There is no uh, uh, had. Because as the author of Al-Mughni, who we know as Ibn Qudama, who is the Imam of the Hanbali school, he goes this, يَحْتَاجُ إِلَى He goes that when you're about to make a statement and say to people that this is a travel and this isn't, and travel or a journey is X miles, you need a definitive text. We don't have a single ayah, we don't have a single hadith, we don't have a single definitive statement or indication from the Prophet that he said that. Let alone 48 miles, let alone 16 farsakh, let alone 4 burud. It's, not, it's just not there. Rather, what we do have is so many statements of the companions and the tabi'een that are differing to one another and differing to this concept as well. And there is no way that a person can have a definitive proof of such difference of opinion. This is quoting Ibn, Ibn Qudama. And this trying to specify a distance is going against the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu and the obvious meaning of the Qur'an. And because when you want to set a value, this is not your area. This is the area of tawqif. means it needs to come from Allah when you are wanting to specify an exact thing. So it's not permissible to go to any opinion of any single individual. He's pretty hardcore in this, as he, as he, as he gathered. Right? And the real truth and the burning proof are with those folks who made permissible qasr in every journey that they set off on that there is no ijma'ah to its opposite. It's a killer statement at the end. I repeat that again. He goes, therefore, the actual safar and a qasr can be done in every and any single journey that a person undertakes in which there is not a consensus on the other side that is not a journey. Think about that. So imagine if I said, when I go to Sheffield, I do qasr. Okay? Put your hands up if you disagree. I'm in Manchester, but for the folks online, in Manchester, uh, Sheffield is, let's do miles, about 30. Anyone got an accurate take on that? No? Behave yourself, 45. Bro, I'm a snake's pass kind of guy. That's, just, that's crow flies as it gets. Right? I can go, I can do the 90 mile... I can do the 90 mile version and go all the way up there and go all the way across the M62 and come all the way down M1. Come on, hit me up. 40 miles. 40? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to pick a more controversial. Yeah, okay then. Bro, my guy just literally did the thing here and you're still arguing. It's a metal hole I'm talking. It's obviously the one side of 
Um, all right. But here's the point, right? We're already arguing, see? So it's clear that there's no consensus on the concept of Sheffield. Right? So therefore, clearly it's allowed to be a journey. Do you get my point? Let's do a more controversial one. Let's do Liverpool. Now, the first question is, who on God's earth would want to go to Liverpool? You know what I mean? <laughs> Let's get the obvious ones out of the way. Yeah. Let's deal with the next ones and then, we, then, we, then, we, then we'll do the legals. <laughs> we'll, we'll do the legals in a second. Now, what are we saying about Liverpool? Is there anybody that disagrees that Liverpool is a journey? <laughs> boom, boom. Um, what are we saying here? No, it's not. I don't know what thing you're using. Are you using Waze some bakwas or whatever? Are you using Google with tolls enabled? I'm not paying one pence. I bet if we go in these settings, yeah, he goes, don't warn me against any tolls. Send me 15 miles in the other direction as long as I don't go on a toll road. 32, right? Liverpool. 32 miles. Kilometers. Bro, she's saying 32 kilometers. Have you been reading kilometers all this time? I bet you have. She said no concept of time or distance. Your husband's saying there's no sense of time, distance, nothing. We're going there, are we? All right. Okay. Of cities, so 20 miles. Okay, let's long <laughs> <laughs> Now, come on. There's got to be some yani, reward for going all that way. So, the point, the point is what? The point is that if the people, and when I teach Fiqh of Salah, you guys know what I say, right? My opinion about a journey is when, the, when you jump into a taxi and you want to go to that place, they offer you a set rate. That's my opinion, okay? That's my personal opinion, which normally happens after 20, 30 kind of miles, right? Um, if you say a certain place, like if you were to say, for example, Bolton, I'm not sure whether they give you a set fare for Bolton, do they? Yeah. If you jump into a taxi in Manchester, anyone done that to go to Bolton? Yeah, I don't think they will, but for Liverpool they do. So from Manchester Airport, if you go for Liverpool, they won't put on the meter, they will say, that's a set charge mate, 100 pounds, 75 pounds, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, so there are a number of personal opinions of what a journey is. That's why Sheikh Ehlan can come and say, I think it's being away from home where you don't have a fridge and things like that. You can make it all funky and get out and think outside the box. Yeah. No, no, it's a it's 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 a two distance. Yeah. When they say forty-eight miles, they mean a two distance. Yeah. 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 This is, well, here's the thing, right? This is why, in my 
mind, there's absolutely no doubt that this is the correct opinion. That, that there is no distance for suffer. But rather it is a, and this is now, you know, don't ask me to repeat this again, okay? Okay? It is a multi-dimensional, complex reality that a person's got to have the confidence that they believe that they are doing a journey and doesn't need to be supported by anybody else. Okay? As long as you don't have consensus on the other side. It's a bit like what? Yeah, I think actually in most of these scenarios, this is the, 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 the way to look at it. Uh, when we say something goes back to urf, to the local kind of customs and the local kind of understandings, the, it's just, it, it's pointless trying to, you know, knuckle it down. When you hear the idea that it goes, that bleeding, that breaks with what goes back to urf, that the distance of the illness that allows you to break the fast goes back to your urf. That the distance that you need to travel so that you can take the advantage of being a traveler and all of the concessions that come with it goes back to your urf. The first thing you should realize at that moment is that the matter is flexible. Because there's no, nothing definitive, otherwise it's not, nothing goes back to urf if it's definitive. Get a point? So that's the first thing. The second thing you realize is that you are taking a risk. This is important. Because if things are going back to Urf and you don't have that nice convenient 48 miles, nice convenient, you know, 15 days of travel for like the, the Hanafis, for example, then you're going to be making a judgment call. And he, he, Sheikh mentions, when you're making a judgment call in these matters, what well, you need to remember what the asal is. Is the asal that you should be praying in full or is the asal that you should be praying your Qasr prayer. What's the status quo? What's the default position? The default position is that you are a resident, of course. The default position is that you are at home. The default position is that you're not traveling. Unless you are a Bedu or, I don't know, nomad or gypsy or whatever the phrase is that people are always traveling and they don't actually have a fixed home. Where is that? What's that called? Travelers? Travelers. Travelers. Right? If you are a traveler, that doesn't have a home, and you're always moving, that's a tiny minority of, of mankind. Civilization normally is resident, and the exception is when you're traveling. And so therefore, a nice common sense thing is that when you have doubt about your state, then you revert back to praying uh, a, a full prayer. And that's why, that's why it is useful to hear these little um, anecdotes from scholars and uh, whatever that mention fridges for example right because a fridge is a level of luxury and comfort and stability a fridge will will will, will what, what will a fridge do what do you think the main use of a fridge or what do you think the main benefit of a fridge is if we define like define a fridge what, what does it actually allow you to do nope no, I mean, that's technically, yeah, but I mean, what is the consequence? No, huh? Exactly. You can remain hidden away for days. 
that's the whole point of a fridge. You got a fridge, you don't need to go out and see humankind. You get what I'm trying to say? You don't need to use Uber Eats, you don't need to get people to come to your door. You don't need to see people. That's the point, right? Now, what is a person who's a traveler, person who is in a strange place, strange town, doesn't have stability, outside the comfort zone, desperate situation, having to ask people where to eat, having to ask permission to leave, having to use delivery services, and that could be not so far away. And it gives you, as I said, a little bit of a closer idea. Like for example, when you go around and you're staying at a person's house, yeah? And you want a glass of water, and you gotta flip and call the guy, bro, can I come get a glass of water? Is the coast clear? Do you know what I mean? I might as well be in prison. Bro, I'm telling you, man, if you need to ask permission to get a glass of water, right? Or send me some water or whatever. I'm not comfortable, I'm not at home, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not chilling, I'm not enjoying myself. Anyway, that was a very non-subtle but very good reminder. Well done. We've gone over our time. Let's, ask, let's do some questions and then we'll, um, then we'll uh, thingy. Yes, yes. So if you use that argument, you could argue that they use of horses obviously at the time to get covered. If we come to the modern day, the equivalent of the horse, now look at cars. So we are going to develop this. Obviously what Shazad is saying is that if the whole point of it back in the day is all the headache and the mess and the dirt and the dust and the time and the length and the, today is just the exact opposite. You're driving and you, you don't even know what any different. You jump on, get off, done a hundred miles, thousand miles, whatever. That's why I said a journey is a multi-dimensional complex relationship of a multiple factors. Difficulty is not to be all and end all. It would be a big mistake. I think that the main mistake by the majority of people is that they removed the concept of difficulty entirely, made it a number. And our mistake is that we made it the opposite, all about difficulty. It's a combination of both. And Ibn Taymiyyah is going to say a few interesting things. He's going to say, um, I don't, he's going to disagree with a lot of this. And he's going to say, that where did distance come into it? Yeah, and where's the obvious point? What about if a person spends eight hours in a one mile situation? According to Ibn Taymiyyah, that's a journey. A proper yeah, I need traffic jam, you know, proper broken down, proper whatever. You're stuck there. When you get in, they were like, where have you been? Eight hours, whatever, whatnot, bro, it was a mission. The same statement that you'd say when you drove all the way from Manchester to London, man, it was a mission. Yeah, yeah. There's a, it, it is not easy. Which is why the vast majority of scholars said 48 miles, don't give yourself a headache. And I've, I'm, I'm an absolute card-carrying member of that school. I'm more, than, even though I very firmly believe there's no evidence for 48 miles, but I'm more than happy to give it to people out of mercy to them. It's like a mercy killing. There you go, son. 48 miles, don't kill yourself. Because he will kill himself, he'll kill me, he'll kill everyone. I might do this, that one. Bro, the worst mistake I ever made was telling a person when he says, I'm traveling, that you, you, you work it out yourself. Because that person calls me then 15 times a day. Okay, I did this, but this happened. I got this. I said, like 48 miles, that's it. <laughs> Once you've done 48 miles, it doesn't matter whether you've got fridges or freezers or you've got to go bloody Uber Eats or whatever. 
You're done, you're covered. Shamala, yeah. But this, this is what we said, right? I mean, it's a concession. So therefore, if you are doubtful, then don't take it. It's not obligated to take it, right? That's something which we know. Yes, right. Sometimes longer. That's the difficulty with the whole concept of suffer. You just gone and proven my point, right? That if we can agree that to go to Liverpool takes 45 minutes and it's 40 miles, 30 miles, and to go to Chim Hills 5, 10 miles and it's taking 45 minutes an hour as well, how can we say one is, you know, we'll go with and the other one we won't? You immediately said, I don't feel comfortable. No, I don't feel comfortable either. And that's your safety kind of net, right? We, that's what we said that and the irony is well not the irony the truth is is that if we ask everybody here nobody will be comfortable with the idea that you doing a Cheatham Hill is going to work and that's why I do think that his statement has value that if there's a consensus on the other side against your idea of a journey then we don't go there even if the same logic is applying even oh, sorry even if it's illogical because it is illogical like all of us are going to agree guys is there anybody that actually disagrees Cheatham Hill being a journey. No, right? Yeah, girls, yeah, we agree, right? So there you go. There's a consensus of all of us that do not accept going five miles, even if it takes an hour, to be a journey. Yet, all of us have to admit it's an illogical statement. It's just an emotional, it's a feeling, it's a knowledge, it's an experience. That's why when we say it goes back to earth, what are we actually saying? Legally, we're saying we don't have evidences. And when you don't have evidences, then of course the argument that you're making is weak. Because you don't have evidences. We're just going by the whims of people. And thankfully, and this is the bigger picture here, thankfully Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us the, the confidence and the trust to be able to look after ourselves and not abuse it. And the people who abuse these things, they get found out very quickly. Not necessarily by others, they themselves find out very soon. So I don't think, so I know that this is a stressful thing or because it's like, doesn't make sense. I know, I've been, I've been teaching this, the, the, the chapter of travel for 20 odd years. In 20 years of different schools, different eras, travel in my own time developing, different ways of expressing information, thinking of clever analogies and anecdotes. 20 years later, I'm still, I'm not able to give you a definitive answer to the concept of travel. There it just isn't. You know, obviously so you know that's understandable, but you know when people say like it's similar to Sean Claire what this happening. I'm in Liverpool but obviously that was comfortable for me to get there. Probably more comfortable because it wasn't packed that in traffic like I was getting to Cheating Hill. Where do you kind of draw the line in terms of okay well I should be following Sunnah and using the two instead of so this is why we said right a minute ago the the idea if a person is not feeling comfortable about when and when when and where in these journeys they should apply 
the concession of shortening, that whenever there's doubt, whenever there's doubt, you revert back to, to type. It doesn't need to be that complicated. Actually, we make it more complicated, frankly, right? We make it more complicated. Why? Because of a couple of things. Number one, we forget that the status, the, the default position is full prayers. So just when you doubt, just pray full. The second massive mistake, which we're going to be covering, obviously, in a lot of detail, that people make is that they confuse between combining and shortening. The shortening of the prayer is hardly ever done. Combining is the one which is the one that we need and the one which is more uh, important, right, as a tool. Shortening isn't. Shortening is, honestly, what? I mean, taking two minutes or one minute off a prayer? If you're not shortening yani, the two recitation units, you're shortening the two empty ones. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like a minute off. It's not that much of a concession, which is why I like Ibn Taymiyyah's statement. That it's not a concession anyway. It's that's actually the type of the prayer that's in there. What's a proper concession? It's combining. Right. So we stress and stress and stress, and actually we realize we're stressing over the wrong thing. What we're really looking for is somehow a reason to combine. And you're going to learn in this class that combining doesn't require distance to be a concession. So we just get confused by all of these kind of things. Allah knows best. Right, questions? So an international student who is studying in the UK from abroad. I'll tell you one thing though, because we've not covered enough of the chapter, I think some of these questions are coming too early. We need to cover a few more. I think that we might just stop those kind of questions uh, because that's not kind of, it's not, doesn't make sense. But Simon said that an average distance that a camel can cover in a day is 20 to 24 miles. So two days would be around 48 on the safe side. Interesting. That's, uh, that's uh, approximate. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's have... Oh, yes. There's a couple of things I want to uh, answer. This is a couple of questions here. So let's just focus on these. The first is the position on having lined graves. I'm going to a Muslim burial forum, and it's one of the items on the agenda. When you say a lined grave, I think they mean concrete lined? That's what they mean, right? Is that what they mean? Yeah, that's not permissible in principle. It's only permissible if, A, there's a legal requirement for them to be concrete lined, which is the case in certain areas, I think in Bury, Birmingham as well. Yeah, so there are a few places that they are obligated to. So that's legal, and so therefore you have no choice in that. So therefore that's okay. But in principle, when you have the choice, no. The second reason it's allowed is not if it's uh, legally uh, uh, required, but because it is uh, 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 practically required. So in the areas that it's legally obligated, the, re the reason is because of the clay, how soft it is, how horrible it is. You know, it's very, very wet, very, you know, whatever. And so in these places, there's some space for you to use such a uh, grave but I just want to say that whenever you are able to blag it then you should I, I don't think that you should worry too much about uh, 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 these legalities for example people are obsessed with the legality of burying in a coffin like as if the, any, anyone's going to come and open and check don't you dare give me an example and say yeah they opened up and checked which guy man the other day, give them five quid and they're happy as Larry. <laughs> Those guys digging and they think you're looking there, whatever, waiting for one coffee or one tea. Mill Lane ain't going to take no five. Mill Lane, ten quid. Obviously, they're, they're from yeah, the Cheshire folks, isn't it? But honestly, I don't know, man. People make such a big thing out of it. 
and if you've got an opportunity to take your body out obviously we'll speak about that in fiqh death when it when it happens but um so that's that so concrete lining uh, is an example of of uh, of um something which is not permissible in principle but if there is a real practical need for it or legally you're obli obliged to do it then you do it um my place of work is organizing a christmas party i wanted this to be answered here because now this is the time that people are booking this up now right so my my place is place of work is organized christmas party most of the employees are non-muslim they are organizing this in a restaurant which serves alcohol as well as pork in the past i've sat at a separate table with one other muslim and ate the usual vegetarian fish etc how do i approach this in a sharia compliant uh, way now um the way to break this down is is the following uh, uh ways First of all, is Christmas something which is completely impermissible to uh, celebrate? And celebrate is a big word. Uh, celebrate can be by saying Merry Christmas or by giving presents or by doing events or by doing whatever. Um, there's not a consensus on this. And the reason there isn't is because many scholars don't believe it has a religious connotation, but a more kind of capitalist one, more kind of consumer one. And that would be close to the truth, of course, because actually no proper real Orthodox Christian believes anything to do with the 25th of uh, December being anything to do with Salam's either birth, resurrection, death, anything, right? So, um, so you know, I'm not too fussed about the, the celebratory nature of Christmas. It's like Sunday. It's like Saturday. Maybe a little bit more religiously charged, but not much more than that. However, the position of the majority is a safer one to avoid anything to do with it, and that's the correct and easy way to look at it. That's number one. Number two, that would be something which is very specifically on Christmas, for Christmas, religiously linked to Christmas, likewise. And so if a person is doing a Christmas party, per se, but doing it months or weeks in advance, and frankly then, that I don't care what anybody tries to say, that's not anything religious. If, they do, if you're doing... <laughs> I mean, imagine, like... If you, if you don't like that example, if I'm saying a Christmas party is completely halal to attend, are you saying astaghfirullah? Okay then, so I'll ask you a question. If you did an Eid party one month before Eid, would you call that an Eid party? Would that be an Eid party? I mean, it's ridiculous that a person will say, yeah, this is my actual Eid meal. This is you using, leveraging off the Eid name and happiness and having a shindig. That's what it is. It's just an excuse. So the Christmas party is nothing to do with Christmas at all. It's about people, holiday, happiness, blah, blah, blah. So that's another thing to consider. You've got to separate all of these out individually. The next is, of course, many people are not used to eating in a mixed gathering. There's nothing impermissible about eating in a mixed gathering, men and women. This is something which is permissible. It is isolation of men and women, a man and a woman, which is haram, or a mixed gathering where the situation is going in the wrong direction. Yeah? in terms of uh, talk and insinuation and whatever that's the third thing separate the fourth thing is alcohol the concept of alcohol is not impermissible to be in the presence of alcohol it is impermissible as per the hadith to be seated at the table that serves alcohol that's the technical facts the rest of it is a moral ethical higher road type of approach the fifth point is pork and any other haram food it is not impermissible to be in the presence of haram food the rest is about you being, uh, again, ethical, moral, moral showing your uh, deen, izzah. These are social matters, not legal ones. If you take all these five together, 
what that basically means is that I believe it's permissible to attend a work uh, colleague Christmas party etc etc if you are able to uh, make an excuse get out of it then you know you just save yourself the headache they're the worst yani, events ever so I've always always blagged them when I was working in those kind of environments but if a person goes it is halal they're not allowed to sit on the table that gathers it they should make a point of it and say listen I'm just going to sit here because I don't uh, sit at the table of alcohol and you guys want to drink it you knock yourselves out literally and <laughs> and you know I'm going to sit on this one here all right so that's the um, that's the position there but this question is slightly different he says that Muslim company organizing it for their employees okay because that's very common right Muslim a, a business and the majority of the employees are whatever and they expect such a gathering should that happen this is now a bit different all right and for you to be the instigating party and the organizing body of going to a place where there's alcohol and the like this is impermissible you cannot be serving alcohol or allowing others and you be paying for it and the like eating in a place that serves alcohol but nobody drinking alcohol is something which is permissible not great PR but it's permissible but if you are then organizing it and having those people there and they're drinking at the table that you've paid for and you're paying the bill what the hell's going on there right so that's something which is completely impermissible and you got to now then balance it in between and the like I, I generally make a statement here and say that you know when it comes to uh, these things right whether it's a Muslim owner or Muslim company or whether you're just a Muslim employee in a normal company uh, non-Muslim owners whatever people not really caring too much whether you attend don't attend whether you give the gift don't give the gift whether you say Merry Christmas or happy thing that's not what they really care about I spoke about this the other time when it comes to family and you know going to visit etc what they care about mostly is people thinking you're so tight and inconsiderate you're stingy and inconsiderate meaning that when you offer to put on an alternative so for example listen I, I forget uh, Christmas or whatever whatnot let's but well, let's do a thing uh, leave this to me so if I'm the Muslim owner and I'm in that situation when I used to run a department and it was all non-Muslims and I used to say to them that I'm not really down for the, the Christmas thingy it's horrible going there blah 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 let me take you out properly guys let me show you a proper you know thingy I'll make your Christmas party look like a waste of time and so I went and on some random Friday or whatever it was yeah I said the thingy and they all got ready all dressed up everyone went to one of these restaurants I can't remember where had an amazing time and eat our own food our own you know halal stuff whatever bloody blah bloody blah, blah, blah they didn't bring bring up the concept of Christmas ever again what do they care about Christmas like as if they're flipping the diehard Christians they couldn't give a monkeys they just want to munch yeah they, they, they want to munch and the women want to get dressed those who remember Al-Adab you remember that I gave the example that I used to work with a lady I said to her I, I, I remember when I was with, with, imagine that you finish work at 7 o'clock and the meet time is at half past 8 right and I said to the girls I said right I said listen we're literally going straight there so don't bother going home and this that whatever we're not dressing up I ain't dressing up I'm the, no we're dressing up nothing I turn up half past eight Pat she's 75 years old or something right comes dressed to the nines makeup this that whatever one. I said what the fish is going on here I, I, I literally said that don't bother don't go to headache don't this that whatever she goes to me listen don't speak about any women we love you any, any excuse to go and put all that bakwasa right I learned a lot that day 
any old reason they just wanted you know whatever so so the point is is that they just want a replacement so I think that's the way that you should look at it give something which is a halal replacement and the final question if I have a habit of making dua every time I give sadaqah if I have a habit of making dua every time I give sadaqah or finish reading Quran for any good deed for that matter is that counted as being bid'ah no I don't think that is bid'ah I think that's fantastic this is this is the exact definition of doing something which is an act of worship and then seeking Allah's help as a result of that act I don't think you leave it I don't think that you do that at all and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best alright guys Zakmullah khair subhanakallahumma bihamdika shadu an la ilaha illa anta